this is what I've We only need this so. chunk of the house. I'm usually a night owl. Being a creature of the night doesn't often lend itself to being in your PJs and snug in bed by quarter to nine. But with recent events, a tiff with my boyfriend, making a mess of my friend's workplace, doing battle with the ridiculously hard-to-kill descendants of Bob McBuzzles, I was in a sour mood and wanted nothing more than to drink a bottle of wine, watch a little Property Brothers, and go to bed. Of course, those plans went to shit when I heard my name whispered in the dark. Joan. Now let's be clear. As a succubus of the Third Gate, only daughter of the Jezebel, and trained in the school of Oleander, I'm well acquainted with my name being whispered in a darkened bedroom. Whispered, moaned, screamed in agony, <laughs> whatever. But I wouldn't be much of a succubus if I couldn't sniff out a psychic allurement when I hear one. Then I hear the voice again. I rub my eyes and look at my phone. 3 a.m. You aren't going to shut the fuck up until I get up, are you? I sigh and pull myself out of bed. I know the score. Whoever's calling my name is powerful enough to cast an allurement, even through the protection of my wards, which means he's powerful enough to afford to be polite. Whispering me awake is a courtesy. If he can get through my wards, he can also, more than likely, yank me out of my bed by my ankles and drag me to where the hell he is. At least this way I can put on pants. Joan. Fuck. Yes. I heard you. I'm up. Hold your goddamned horses. Let me get my coffee. Joan. Oh, so I can't even get coffee. Joan. Fine. I'm coming. Jesus. Disembodied son of a bitch. Here's the thing about allurements. You're not actually following the sound of a voice. Your body knows where to go. It will take you there. Don't fight it. A strong enough allurement won't even let you fight it. You just, you know, go. And while this specific allurement is nothing so heavy-handed, I can feel the power behind it. Terrifyingly strong and barely held back, like pushing a hurricane through a straw. Even if this spell was a gentle breeze, there was a world-shredding tsunami behind it. And so it is. I find myself not far from the college campus, walking through the woods in this awful little town my beloved Gore has decided to hide out in. For the time being, anyway. Until he gets this little bout of rebellion out of his system. And we can go home. Joan. Yes, yes. I hear you for shit's sake. I'm coming. 
gods below. To be fair, Alexandria isn't a total dump. There's good beer, a steady supply of fetching young college students with no sense of self-preservation. A dark energy the likes of which I haven't seen since Tunguska building beneath the surface. All the amenities you could ask for, and more. I might have really liked it if Gore hadn't spoiled it for me when he decided to set up camp here with a feral pack of bobs. Doesn't he understand I just want what's best for him? For us? I mean, sure, I may have engaged in a few occasional indiscretions with one or two of his former roommates, but he was working late and I was hungry and I hadn't eaten since breakfast. And and let's be honest here, those South Beach diet microwave meals are god-awful. And how is it my fault that mortals are nowhere near as resilient as vampires? I didn't mean to kill them. I didn't even mean to touch them. I... I don't mean to do half the things that I do. I have a temper, sure. And Gore knows that. He knew that getting into this. I told him. I was very upfront. I said, Gore, if we're going to be together, you're going to have to be okay with who I am. Because I have a chthonic legacy to live up to, and a couple dozen millennia of genetic memory behind me that's harder than a mosquito in your ear to ignore. I told him. I told him this is just... Me. I mean, in his defense, (laughs) it's not as though he didn't voice his concerns to me on occasion. About my impulse control, (laughs) my temper, my slip-ups. But I mean, come on! I'm a succubus! What does he think I eat? Do I get angry at him for every rando he accidentally drains dry. Of course not. That's just who he is. And I help him get rid of the bodies because that's just who I am. And what was that supposed to mean when he said, if I ever want to be with him again? It's not as though we'll never be together again. This is just a fight, a a quibble. We'll get through this. We'll get... He'll... We... Yep. Still coming. So annoying. Idly, I wonder where I'm going. Not that it really mattered. I'd get there eventually. One way or the other. Technically, I could pop wing and fly there, take half the time, but uh, I'm enjoying the quiet walk. Oh, what is that? Why is there a metal grate in the middle of the forest floor? Oh, it's so covered in brush, it'd be easy to miss, even in the daylight. I pull my phone from my pocket and turn on the flashlight, shining the beam through the rusty bars to see what lay beneath the mystery grate. It looked like concrete walls shooting all the way down into some sort of dark space. A room, maybe, or... Wait. Well, I'll be damned. The tunnels. I'd heard about these before. A tunnel system underneath the university that crisscrossed the entire campus. I hadn't suspected they'd be all the way out here, though. This must be an air vent 
Or maybe an escape shaft. Joan. Yep. Ten four. I tear the grate off its hinges. Butt scoot down, shining my light both ways up and down the tunnel. True, I could have pumped some dark energy into my eyes and see in the dark, but I didn't know what was calling me down here, and I'd rather have every drop of magic I had. Just in case. It was more or less what I expected to find. Worn, grey, cement walls, ceilings, floors. It's dusty and unused, but not grimy. I expected the place to be something like a sewer, moldy and gross, but it isn't like that. The air is just still. A little stale, maybe, but it doesn't smell like anything at all. Joan. I start walking. I'm not sure, but I think I'm heading towards the heart of the campus. Directions, whenever my strong suit. When I was younger, my mother would say I couldn't find up with a map. I know it's kind of a gimme, but as Grand Duchess of the Seventh Realm of Hell and a succubus of the Fifth Gate, Jezebel wasn't exactly a nurturing spirit. She treated me more like she was my manager instead of my mom. Gore never met her, but I guess I talked about her enough. He thinks I blame too much of my behavior on her. Uh, But she's the one who taught me to pull the souls out of my victims through their most... uh, private areas. (laughs) What was I supposed to do? And not for nothing, but if I was half, even a third of the succubus my mother is, Gore would be fifty years dead now and there would have been thousands of more bodies in his wake. I'm not my mother, though. And I love Gore. And I'm faithful to him. Oh, what? Those friends of his that he walked in on me devouring all that time ago? (laughs) The reasons he decided to leave home over? Those were nothing. Snacks. That wasn't cheating. Unless you count cheating on your diet. I can't imagine why he'd be so upset over a couple mortals. At least, not upset enough to leave home over... There's graffiti on the wall as I round a corner. It says, We are cursed. There's no going home. She's our mother now. It's two decades dry, but I can still smell the distinctive iron tang of the blood used to write this. On one of our little coffee dates, Morning Wood mentioned that something happened here in the 90s. Some incident that no one's allowed to talk about. I continue forward, rounding another corner, when I see the body crumpled against the wall. A skeleton, really, but that's pedantic. Leaning down for a closer look, I can see a few of its teeth are missing, and its skull is partially caved in. Joan. Well, not like there's any helping this guy now. I keep moving. I don't get far before I notice the distinctively harsh tang of chlorine. I'm under the pool, maybe? Last I saw it was still under construction and devoid of water. 
They were probably storing the cleaning chemicals somewhere nearby, though. Joan. That brings me up short. Actually, it'd be more accurate to say it feels like I've walked into an invisible wall. Scanning the area with my light, I spot a small keyhole, flush with an old metal door, painted the same color as the wall. No doorknob, just the keyhole. How the hell are you supposed to open it, then? I can answer my own question. You aren't. I run my fingers against the seam of the door, next to the keyhole, and felt scratches and bends in the metal. Someone has already tried to pry this door open. Maybe with something like a crowbar. Who knows? Not my farm. Not my pigs. It only takes me a pinch of dark energy to punch through the keyhole. The door swings open. I act on pure instinct, baring my fangs and hissing. My barbed tail whips out and into a defensive position as I plant my feet, ready to spring at the hulking monster standing in front of me. After a few seconds, when it doesn't move and my pumped-up senses don't detect breathing or a heartbeat or the creaking of bones and muscle, I give myself permission to relax slightly. It's a statue. Nine feet tall if it's an inch. Its long, skeletally thin body stands in a crouch, about to leap into an attack. Its thin, bony claws up, ready to strike. Its teeth were long and sharp and deadly, and sat in the skull of a wolf or something like it, only far bigger. And above it all, crowning its massive head, a pair of jagged, sharp antlers. Twenty points, if I had to guess, and decorated with strings and bells and feathers. The Wendigo. This is the Wendigo. But not the cutesy bronze representation of it above ground. This is an honest, the deep one, Wendigo. It stands on a large square platform made of marble or cement. Carefully, I approach the thing and gingerly put my hand against its thigh. Flashes. That's all I get. Smiles. Building the frame. Learning. They came to him in a dream finding these tunnels. Snow, so much. Snow. This room, all of them huddled together. Hunger. Tears. Hunger. They were starving. She was starving. Blood, muscle, teeth. Hunger. Anger, pain. Claws, bones breaking. Hunger, so hungry. Books, a circle of holly and fire. Yeah. Hail. Hail, Wendigo. Trapped. She was trapped with a hunger wide and horrible enough to pull the fire from the earth, the darkness from the sea. She was afraid. She was hunger. She would eat. I pull my hand away. I'm sorry, Mildred, Millie, for what they did to you. You deserved better. We deserved better. Joan.
It's not as if it was particularly hard to ascertain where I needed to go. The floor basically buzzed with dark energy seeping from below. Bracing my feet, I shoved hard against Millie with my shoulder. Even with dark energy surging through me, it still takes a hefty amount of oomph to shove that big fucker out of the way. When I do, though, oh boy, it's like sticking your face in front of an oven on max heat and opening the door. Dark energy practically billows from a hole in the floor that's been covered by the slab on which Millie has stood for who knows how long. A rough set of stairs, seemingly carved from the earth, lead down into the chamber. From where I stand, all I can see is a sickly purple light cast against the steps. From the opening came a cool but not at all refreshing breeze. Welp, in for a penny, in for a pound. As I descend, the dim purple glow becomes brighter, until finally the wall to my left ends as it becomes the stalactited ceiling of a new chamber and blackened heart of Satan, what the ever-loving fuck! What? What? Okay, uh, let's pause here. Some of you listening may have some misconstrued concepts of what hell looks like. Fire and brimstone, boiling rivers of blood, still beating hearts hanging from hooks. <laughs> it's nonsense. Hell isn't some cave that you fall into. It's not some world where fire and blood are always in vogue. It's just a place like anywhere else. Homes, streets, trees, J.C. Penny outlets. Sure, the people who make hell their home fall under a certain uh, moral ambiguity, but when everyone is evil, no one is. And that said, there are places that have a distinctive a negative aura about them. Beelzebub's bungalow around the World Cup final, for example, can get particularly uh, rambunctious. And my point is, even if hell isn't necessarily how it's portrayed in books, it doesn't mean I don't know from evil. I'm a goddamned evil sommelier. And let me tell you... What lay at the bottom of those stairs, at the back of that chamber, was pure, unadulterated, beautifully vintaged, capital E, evil. It makes my ears ring with it and my eyes burn with it. I can feel it buzzing in my skull and knocking around in my chest like ball bearings in a spray paint can. This is the real McCoy. Oh. Older than it has any right to be. And for all that, I still have no idea what it is. At the back of this chamber, festooned with dripping stalactites and sprawling stalagmites, lit by a garish purple light that seemed to glow from the very living rock of the cave, is a wheel not a 
wagon wheel or anything like that, a huge wheel shaped from stone, covered in carvings that glowed and pulsed with their own strange power. It doesn't take a collegiately trained succubus of the third gate to put two and two together. That's a warded door, bound with unimaginably powerful dark energy. And whatever called me here is sealed behind it. My mind spins thinking about what kind of creature could have enough power to smack me with an allurement from behind a warded door. It's... It's scary, alright? Really fucking scary. Joan, you made it. I'm so glad. Welcome to my home. So sorry I couldn't tidy up first, but you know how it goes. Who has the time these days? Ah, so he does have a voice. And all this time I was under the impression that I was listening to a recording set to repeat. Rule one when dealing with unspeakable evil kiddos, never show fear, ever. Joan, Joan, please. We can dispense with the bravado. It wastes time, and you must be exhausted. It's, what, three in the morning? After four at this point. After four? Goodness, how terribly rude of me. Terribly, terribly rude of me. Ah, well, spilled milk, and you're here now. And that's all that matters. Hello, Joan. Hello, attractive-sounding voice behind a wall. Have a name I can call you? Oh, countless. I've been called the Biting Chaos and the Scream in the Dark. The gods of Unknown Kadath called me Mithagan Ul. I've been called Nyathgar the Dread and Old Scratch and Yitzil and the Drowner. All of these are correct. But for the sake of what I have brought you here, perhaps it's best I give you the name by which my jailer knew me best. The Ragnarok. Despite the fact that we aren't exactly on speaking terms, as I may have had a part in destroying her sound booth, I still consider Morning Wood a good friend. And I enjoy her show. Ergo, when he said the name the Ragnarok, my brain rushes back a few weeks when that Bob called in, with the cleaned up version of the message M.W. had supposedly sent to herself. She clearly had said the Ragnarok, but all that in no way answered the most pressing question at hand, which is, so, Ragnarok, what exactly are you? An old one? An elder god. And Technically, I'm many things. And none. But if your question is, what is the Ragnarok? The answer is a ship. More specifically, this ship. In response, the light emanating off the walls dim on one side of the giant chamber and brightens on the other side. And there, somehow missed amongst the formations in limestone, resting at an extreme angle like it'd been driven into the ground from the sky, protruding out from the back wall was a long, 
metal boat? A ship? It looked like something out of the American Civil War, if I'm remembering that conflict properly. But it was wrong. Twisted, intricate veins of dark energy pulsing along the hull, weapons branching out of tourettes that in no way came from Earth. This ship was just wrong. I see the confusion on your face. I would expect you to recognize the Covenant Bob flagship Ragnarok, captained by the most feared creature in nine systems, the Vampoticon. Squint Bob, mother to acquaintances of yours, killed in Blue Bob. <laughs> I make it my business to not associate with Bobs. That said, while I know the name Squint, I didn't know the name of her ship. Our kind and theirs rarely mingle, so there was no point. Truth told, I knew she captained a ship of unimaginable dark energy, but where I came from, it went by a different name. The Melavillian. The Grey Horse. I'd never heard the name Ragnarok whispered by the Jezebel when she attempted to scare me with stories of Squint. But something about all of this was bothering me. There was a problem with this ship. <laughs> it's too old. Look at the growth on the thing, and the way the stalactites are just starting to form around it. That thing's been here for hundreds of years. Maybe thousands. The bobs have only been prowling the cosmos for just over the 150 years. Clever child. You have come to the heart of the matter. Other questions I would have accepted would have been, how am I a ship crashed into a wall and an entity stuck behind a wall? And what is this place? Oh, those are coming. Don't you worry. Then let's save a little time and answer each of them one at a time. Uh, should I get some snacks if this is going to be a long story? <laughs> You should see me do my set in the buff. I'm sure it's wonderful, though I lack necessary proclivities to appreciate it in any regard. Nevertheless, you had a question, and that is, what is a ship that is supposed to be zooming around the galaxy for the last 150 years doing buried deep underground for hundreds of years? Well, for that to be answered, I must show you what the Ragnarok is. The room glows a bright purple and fades away. And I'm suddenly standing in a harbor where in the water, tied to the dock, is the Ragnarok. There were other ships like it nearby, though the Ragnarok is by far and away the largest. Around me, men dressed in blue uniforms and women in wide-hipped dresses bustle about, seemingly unaware of the young woman in Darth Vader sweatpants and a cami standing next to the ship. Sensing I wasn't alone in this crowd of people, I glance to my side. The dark-skinned man standing there is... well, there's no other way of saying it. He's 
beautiful. Good hair, clean complexion, eyes that swirl with a purple light. He's staring out to the harbor, where the Ragnarok is ported. The USS Korpik, or as the rebel soldiers who've heard rumors of this behemoth fancifully call it, the Ragnarok, the largest ironclad vessel in the Union Army, thrice the length of the Monitor and four times as many guns. She was a creature meant to strike fear in the Confederate Army. Seeing her flag on the horizon was meant to incite such fear that the rebel forces would have no choice but to surrender. There was only one issue. She was too big to move. A womp womp. The ironclads of the American Civil War, though a technological marvel, were river vessels, or at the very least, not far offshore. Our dear Ragnarok, however, was simply too heavy to get her into deep enough waters. This is Corpeak, North Carolina, 1864, and that is the Pasquatonk River. If you don't know the names, don't feel bad. You know them today as Alexandria and the Pockywalk River, respectively. From atop the ship, a hatch popped open, and from it, a man climbed out wearing a long, blue naval coat. Do you recognize that man? Am I supposed to? In truth, there's something vaguely familiar about him, though. I can't put my finger on it. You should. Your beloved Gore has been living with his descendants for going on two years now. And with that, it clicked into place. Familial similarities, to be sure. Jawline, eyes... But the coat... I'd seen the younger one, Blue, they'd called him, wearing it. That's the Covenant Maker. Just so. That is Robert Bob McBuzzles. Before he was the progenitor of the Covenant Bob, he was a captain in the United States Navy, under Admiral Porter. You can't see it, but stashed in his quarters is the ceremonial dress kilt given to him by his father with the McBuzzles tartan, worn by the one you know as Kilt Bob today. McBuzzles moves along the deck with a practiced fervor, throwing out orders to the deckhands as if they were out on the water on a mission. The deckhands, for their part, give the captain only a perfunctory salute before lacklusterly moving to fulfill his orders. It's obvious to me that this is a man who has to keep up appearances, regardless of the situation. It was on this day, shortly after supper in fact, that I came to McBuzzles and made him the offer that would change the course of history. Waiting beneath the surface, it's point of frustration that those of my kind may only interact with shadow at key points in the celestial cycle. In short, the stars must be right for us to speak with mortals in any way beyond entering their dreamscape. And even then, the stars are rarely in perfect alignment, and as such, our influence is weakened. Today, the stars are such that I may interact with Shadow and even impart some of my will upon it. I tell you these things because it has bearing in what is to come. For now, the story of McBuzzles and our covenant is irrelevant, or at least a story for another day.
The scene shifts again, and I am sailing into space. I stop suddenly and am staring directly at the Ragnarok. But it's a bastardization of the Civil War ironclad it once was. Artillery guns and new armor festoon the deck. Red and purple light pulse in veins running along the sides of the thing, and at the top of the rigging held stiff in place with no gravity to bring it down. A massive flag. Smiley face with two sharp fangs on a field of black. The Vampoticon. Over the generations, following the Covenant with McBuzzles, the band of mercenaries now called Covenant Bob used my power through this ship to make a name for themselves. Their numbers grew and grew. At the top were always the descendants of the Covenant Maker, of course. But like any large organization, bureaucracy would inevitably take hold. Until finally, while the great descendants of McBuzzle's Squint Bob was technically the head of the organization, the ones really calling the shots were the ones in charge of the money. We move again and we are inside the ship. I was inside a command deck with an imposing woman at the center and three young men on three sides of her. I recognized two of the men at the controls, Kilt and Blue, those meddlesome Bob friends of Gore's. The third I didn't recognize. Squints is a scary-looking woman, and trust me, I know scary women. She isn't grotesque or deformed in any way. In fact, in the right time and place, she'd actually be rather lovely. But it was the look on her face. The sturdy, unwavering, commanding look on her face that said more than anything else that she was not someone to be fucked with. She stands at attention, as still and threatening as the eye of a hurricane. She makes a quick motion with her hand and I see the distinctive red trails of dark energy coming away from her fingertips. The Ragnarok can house a complement of over 500 soldiers, with space for medics and prisoners. However, since this is a simple rendezvous mission, the behemoth ironclad is being crewed by its four highest-ranking members, Admiral Squintbob, her sons Kiltbob and Bluebob, and Recursive Bob. Command, this is the Ragnarok. We are half a million clicks from the Ozeri system. Preparing to enter backspace for final jump. Confirm Armada rendezvous at Sector G389, Migdella. Belay that coordinate order, Ragnarok. New rendezvous, Sector G113, Dagon. Confirm. Receipt of coordinates confirmed, Command. Command, who authorized a change of rendezvous? The Ozeri were very clear on that sector. Command, confirm. Command, this is Admiral Squint Bob of the flagship Ragnarok and Commander of Covenant Bob. I order you to respond. Hey, Squincy baby. Shmerig Bob. Oh, gods. Squint Bob looks pissed. There's a vein in her neck that keeps pulsing. Listen, babe, I went ahead and gave you those orders, so how's about giving this poor peon here a break, eh? You don't have authority to make contract changes. Yeah, well, this is coming straight from High Command. I am High Command, Schmerig. Nah, uh uh, Squincy. 
You still have to answer to the bean counters. We all do. And who is this new contract, Schmerig? Hang tight, Squincy. Check in now. Huh. Looks like the new contract are the... Merdal. Squint Bob's face goes placid. What she says next, she says in the flat tones of a teacher taking attendance. It's somehow even more terrifying than her fury. The Merdal. Yep, that's what it says on my little screen here. The Merdal? The warlords the Oziri were paying us to help fight? The warlords who were trying to enslave the Ozeri to work the Dark Crystal Mines? Those Merdal? The very same. And correction to your statement, Squincy Baby. The warlords the Ozeri were going to pay us to help fight. We never received their payment. And how much did they pay for this contract? Eh, looks like 42,517,000 quizlings. Huh. Well, that's interesting. That was the exact same price as the Ozeri contract. And how did they pay for it? Looks like they paid with it entirely in... Ozeri credits. The Merdal Paid. In Oziri Currency? Huh. Looks like it. But hey, money's money and money spends everywhere. Schmerig, Bob. Please. For the love of the Covenant, please tell me I don't have to explain to you that the Merdal intercepted the Oziri payment en route and used it to hire the Bobs to wipe the Oziri off the map. Squince, listen to me. I'm not saying you're wrong. In fact, I'm positive that you're right. But you know the deal. I'm beholden to the powers that be. You're in charge of the sword, they're in charge of the purse, and at the end of the day, the purse is mightier than the sword. Maybe if you can go talk to the Ozeri and see if the whole lack of payment thing can be straightened out, I can work the paperwork a bit and get them back under Bob protection under the grandfather clause in our bylaws. But until we get their coin, you know my hands are tied. The rendezvous point is a quarter of a million marks further out than the Merdal. Even in backspace, we'll never get there before the Armada's on top of them. That's millions of innocent lives. You know better than that, Squint Bob. This is war. There are no innocent soldiers in war. There are the just and the warlords. And you're a mercenary, and I'm an accountant. It's not our place to decide who's on the right side of history, Squincy. Listen, I can put out a halt on orders for the Armada for 12 hours. That'll give you time to make it to the Ozeri and talk to their high command. That's the best I can give you. Use that time however you see fit. Receipt of message confirmed. Admiral Squint Bob out. The command deck goes dark, except for the blue light illuminating Squint Bob from below. She glances in my direction, and for a brief, terrifying second, I think she sees me. This is a memory, Joan of the Third Gate. She cannot see you. Sir. Grand Quisling Schmerigbob has ordered a 12-hour halt on the Armada while they investigate a contractual discrepancy. Leave it to that oily little rat to demonstrate some goddamn decency at the 11th hour! Your orders, Admiral? Set a course for G389 Magdella. Setting coordinates for the Ozeri Rendezvous. Backspace on my mark. Mark. You see, Joan, Squint Bob knew with aid from the Bob Armada, the Murdor would completely obliterate the Ozeri. And while the wonderful irony of the destruction of an entire planet with mercenaries hired with its own money may have once delighted the Vampoticon, in recent years, she had been experiencing something far worse than ruthlessness. Guilt. I could taste it on her. 
these conflicts of morality. What is right, what is wrong, philosophic drivel. I could feel it on her. All members of the McMuzzle line are tied to the Ragnarok, just as the Ragnarok is tied to them. We have an empathic link fueled by the negative energy that powered the ship and the Bobs as a whole. As such, only a member of the McMuzzle's clan can power the Ragnarok, a fact I regret to say led to my imprisonment. We've arrived at coordinates G389 Migdala, sir. Scanning the area. I found wreckage. Confirmed Ozeri signature. Sir, I'm picking up something. It's... Yep, confirmed life sign. It, it's weak. Should we attempt rescue? Activate the med pod and get those systems up and running. Deploy the tractor beam. You see the debris out there. Most of it is useless space trash now. Waiting to be gobbled up by the pirates and scavengers. Not all of it, though. No. There is still a failing spark of life out there. This creature's tail will put one of the final nails in the Murdor's coffin. Tractor beam locking in. It looks like a jettisoned escape pod. We have secured the escape pod. Recursive, go see if you can get it open. Let's move forward just a bit, shall we? To the medbay area where the survivor recounts a revengeful ordeal. The four crew members stand around a creature with a fine green fur that covers its entire lanky body. She's wearing a torn and burned Ozeri uniform and is covered in a pale pink blood. Her solid gray eyes can't seem to stay open. Recursive is trying to tend to her wounds, but it looks like it's a lost cause. It was an ambush. <coughs> I was on comms. We were waiting for you at the rendezvous point. We received a beacon from a Bob's intercept. Your ship hailed us on the encoded channel as instructed. They used the correct clearance codes given to us by Bob Command. So we let down our shields to prepare them to come aboard and take payment. And when the airlocks opened... <coughs> Thermidal flooded the gate, axed the crew, and took the Ozeri coin you were going to use to pay the Bob's. Flew the coop and opened fire on the Ozeri ship. I'd say that's the shape of it. So, if I have this all right, the Meridal posed as Bob's, murdered your crew, stole your coin, slagged your ship, and then used that coin to hire the Bob's themselves. The survivor didn't say anything. Just nodded her head. Well then, that makes this a hell of a lot easier. I assume you don't need me to explain what happened next. She went straight for the Meridal rendezvous. Give the lady a prize. Recursive, pull all reports on their exact numbers and their defensive, offensive capabilities. Send them directly to my comm. Set a course for G113 Dagon. Course set for G113 Dagon. The scene morphs again to the bridge, and I can feel the tension on deck. On the wide view screen, I can see the warped purple lights change as we drop out of back space. Squint Bob is shouting orders. I want to know as soon as we're inhaling distance of that flagship. 
Make sure the plasma guns are fully powered and be ready to divert all power to the forward shields. I want every gun, cannon, and laser on this boat primed and ready to fire. I'm going to make sure we have their full attention. Yes, sir. Inhaling distant... Oh, speak of the devil. Incoming hail from the Murdal warship Lasco. On the screen. The view screen changes from the black vacuum of space to a face. Blue, striped, and three-eyed. He, uh, it... Smiles with a row of pointed, clear teeth. Ragnarok, this is General Vornado of the warship Lasco. Our monitors tell us you have more or less every piece of weaponry on your ship locked on us. Likely you didn't hear the good news. You do not work for the Ozeri anymore. You work for me. Can confirm, Lasco. I did get that message. However, it's been made clear that you procured those funds using a stolen Bob clearance code to raid the Oziri rendezvous ship. <laughs> How I came by the money is irrelevant, Squint Bob. You know that. This is war. There is no good and evil. Only the victors and the vanquished. And woe be to the vanquished. So, unless you want the entire Bob Armada to take you into custody for breaking contract, bought and paid for, I suggest you lay down your arms and receive your orders. Like a good little lapdog. Copy that, Lasco. Arms are withdrawn. Prep your docking bay for the Ragnarok. You can take your orders over comms. Nice try, Vornado, but you obviously didn't read the contract. Section 7, paragraph 3, subsection 1-8.1. During war times, acting Bob Command will only accept signed orders in person by contractor command to be witnessed by their respective seconds in command. No orders shall be accepted by means of any non-direct communications. This includes, but is not limited to, comms, direct link, instant messaging, and fax. To refuse these directives, you will be in breach of contract and I may fire at will. Hmm. Fine. Prep docking bay. Lieutenant with me. Lasco out. The screen goes black and Squint Bob moves into action. Make a slow line for the Vornado. Don't be in a hurry. I have some things I need to do. She then leaves the bridge without another word, leaving Kilt, Blue, and Recursive glancing at each other. So what's actually the plan? I have no idea. But if I know Mother, it has nothing to do with receiving orders. Not the least of which, there's nothing in the Bob's terms of service that suggests they need to meet in person to receive orders. So then, what do we do? Blue glances at Recursive, who just shrugs his shoulders. Until we hear otherwise, we follow orders. Blue, prep the airlock for docking. Recursive, point us at the Lasco. But don't be too quick about it. I'm second in command, so I guess that means I need to put on my dress kilt to meet with the contract command. The scene shifts again. This looks like Kilt's bunk. He's standing in front of a mirror wearing a white tank top, likely an undershirt, an old but cared-for kilt, and he was just adjusting the sporin in front when Squint's voice comes out from the comms on his wall. Boys, please report to sea deck I'm falling through the decks until I'm staring at Squint Bob and her three crewmen. They're standing in front of a hatch, labeled Pod 13. 
The three of you are getting in this pod. I'm half-dressed. I can't meet the Merdal Command like this. You're not meeting the Merdal Command. None of you are. I'm going alone. I'm taking the Ragnarok. Whatever happens next, I want it clear that my crew had no hand in it. It is my decision and mine alone. Wait a minute, Mom, what- uh, Ah! Sir, with all due respect, what the hell are you talking about? We're not just abandoning ship on our way to a mission. That's admirable, but this isn't a sanctioned mission, and I want it clear your loyalties lie with the Covenant. You can't follow where I'm going. This isn't a request. This is an order. Get in the pod, soldiers. Sir, this is insane! A shockwave of negative energy bursts out of Squint Bob, blasting Kilt, Blue, and Recursive into the pod. Before any of them could shake off the shove, she had keyed something into the pad next to the hatch. The door slid shut, and the pod had jettisoned. I watch as Squint Bob squeezes her eyes shut, clenches her jaw, and a single tear rolls down the cheek of the most feared warrior this side of shadow. Then she stands, composes herself, takes a breath, and presses a button on the calm. The scene breaks and I'm in the pod with the three bobs. Incoming transmission from flagship Ragnarok. Black and Knight, Squint, let us back on the boat. Sir, we can help you. I'm sorry. I was never very good at the whole mother thing. I realize I always instilled more a feeling of terror than affection. But know that you are my sons, and everything I did was to make you stronger, better people than me. This pod is heading for our ancestral planet. If all goes according to plan, Covenant Bob won't be able to find you there. Perhaps you can start a new chapter there. This time, do it right. It's a long trip. I suggest using your time to brush up on your ancestral language you hate so much. But it'll help you fit in. If you look behind your seats, you'll find McBuzzle's trunk with the ball gown you both love so much. Maybe one day you'll slim down enough to fit in it. In the meantime, his jacket and kilt fit just fine. If you don't want to accept this as your superior officer, that's fine. Accept it as your mother. Where I go, there is no coming back. And while the universe can be with one less Vampoticon, it would be a damn sight dimmer without the two of you. Goodbye, my boys. Take care of each other. Don't fight. But if you must fight, win. Wait, Mom! Transmission terminated. Ugh! Recursive, get into that panel. Get this dinghy turned the hell around. Access denied. Admiral level status biometric scan required. Ugh, that prick locked us out! Did she say we're going to our ancestral home? We were born on Bob Station 9. There's, there's no way you think she meant... In a flash, I'm back on the bridge of the Ragnarok. Dark energy is whipping around the consoles as Squint Bob powers all the modules alone. Merdal warship Lasko, this is Admiral Squint Bob of the Covenant Bob flagship Ragnarok. She then moves to a back wall, where a hatch to a closet opens. From inside, she pulls what looks like armor off a hanger that she deftly attaches to herself without issue. After she's suited up, she slips on a pair of goggles with glowing lenses. Ragnarok. Admiral. Put my eyes up on main screen. The main view screen turns on, and Squint Bob is staring at herself. 
She turns her head and the rest of the bridge comes into view. Her goggles have a camera integration, I guess. Broadcast this feed to every Bob outpost accepting transmissions. Let them all see what happened here today. At your bidding, Admiral. Broadcasting now. Covenant Bob, this is Admiral Squint Bob of the flagship Ragnarok, High Command of the Bob War Sector, and direct descendant to the House of McBuzzles. I am the Long Arm, the Vampoticon. I am no one's lapdog. From the ceiling, the longest barreled gun I've ever seen in my life descends. Squint Bob's fabled long arm rifle. Squint Bob out. Squint leaves the bridge, and on the screen I see her move to the airlock, prep the door, and power up her rifle with a whirring noise. Then, the door opens. And all hell breaks loose. Two dozen Murdal soldiers are waiting for her, guns drawn. Squint Bob begins firing indiscriminately into the welcome party. Within seconds, a dozen Merdal soldiers are on the ground, another twelve diving behind containers for cover. Shots from the long arm ring out and pinky with holes appear in the containers, followed by falling bodies. She slings the rifle across her back and pulls a kukri from her boot as she stalks down the corridor. A pair of Merdal soldiers appear out of an open door, hoping to get the jump on her, but Squints easily puts both of them down with a practice slash across the throat. She doesn't even stop walking. She turns a corner and bullets fly out from the other end of the hall. She ducks into an open room, unslings the long arm, waits a heartbeat and fires once, twice, three times, seemingly without pausing to aim. The shots stop and she steps back out. Three dead Murdal lie bleeding on the ground. The lights in the corridor turn red and alarms blare. Squint slings her rifle and springs down the hallway. She pauses when a pair of soldiers attempts to bull rush her. She waits until they're on top of her, grabs the arm of the one on the left, spins them around, smashing them into their partner so they are pinned back to front against the wall. She pulls the knife from its sheath and drives it all the way through the throat of the first, out the back and into the throat of the second. Blood spurts from the wound, spraying Squint's face. The Murdal in front is wearing a military sash across its chest. Squint rips this off and uses it to wipe the blood from her face. She continues forward. One by one, the Murdal fall dead at her feet. As she moves deeper into the ship, a purple haze begins surrounding her, as the negative energy of the terror she's imparting across the whole ship coalesces around her. This, I realize, is what makes the Vampoticon so terrifying. Sure. She's a brilliant strategist, but it's so much more than that. I can manipulate negative energy. I'm Joan of the Third fucking gate. But this power, this power is so immense. I can feel my eyes burning, my chest humming with it, despite the fact that this is a fucking projection. Short of the Jezebel, I've never seen anything like it. 
She continues down the hall to the door of what must be their command deck. She doesn't even pause. She continues, steady forward, and the huge metal door shatters like a pane of glass under the weight of her power. She steps inside the bridge and the crew on deck, Vornado at the center, immediately draw their weapons and open fire. Squint effortlessly sidesteps behind a console, pulls her long-arm rifle and reloads. She takes a deep breath and steps out from behind the console, effortlessly downing two of the five Myrtle on the deck. A bullet grazes her arm, tearing her shirt and causing blood to fly, but she doesn't flinch. She smoothly moves the barrel of the long arm and takes down number three. Squint drops the rifle, letting its sling catch it. In a flash of negative energy, she had moved to the far end of the bridge in the space of half a heartbeat. She's a half dozen steps from Vornado when the fourth crewman on the deck steps between them. He unloads his weapon, but it's pointless. Squint has thrown up a shield of pure, dark energy. The bullets go ricocheting off its surface, and one catches the crewman above the eye. He drops like a marionette with its strings cut. Squint flashes forward and wraps Vornado in a bear hug. The thing about lapdogs, Commander, is they have sharp teeth. His screams turn into a gurgle as she buries her teeth into his throat and jerks back flesh tendons, blood spurt wildly as she lets go and he uselessly attempts to staunch the blood flow with his hands. In seconds, it's over. She lets the body drop to the deck and strides forward to the helm, spitting a mouthful of blood and sinew onto the floor. Hello there, beautiful. She places her hands, palms flat against the helm console, and she begins to pour dark energy into it. Warning, system overload, core failure imminent. The energy pulsing around her grows in intensity. Warning, system overload. Vent warp drive or core destruction will happen in six minutes. Warning. Ragnarok, carry out command, final play. Final play, ready to engage. Commence on my mark. Mark! Warning, system overload. Core destruction imminent. Warning. As the noise gets louder, the purple light turns so bright like surface of the sun bright. The sound ends with an abrupt snap as Squint and her power blink out of existence on the deck, and the view on the widescreen changes into the inside of the Ragnarok. It's already moving away from the Lasco. Diverting your power to fold the actuality dropping us into immediate backspace. Jump in 15 seconds. This isn't going to be smooth. I wasn't designed for this, and you are being hailed by the Bob's High Command. Silence comms, I know what they're gonna say. Prep for jump to backspace for the following coordinates on my mark. They're overriding my, 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 my... Squint, what the hell was that? Are you out of your mind? Mostly. But you knew that already, didn't you, Shmiri? Listen, Squincy, I can't help you here. That shit was a bridge too far. I've got a- Great Bob! 
Oh, hello, Plum Bob. How's tricks? Effective immediately. As Grand Chancellor of the Covenant Bob Financial Division, I am hereby stripping former Admiral Squint Bob of her titles and command of the flagship Ragnarok. She'll report immediately to Bob High Command and face an official court-martial. Going to be a trip to see how you pilot the Ragnarok, seeing as only members of the line of McBuzzles can power her. Assuming Kilt Bob is found innocent of collusion to your crimes against the Covenant, he will take over as captain of the Ragnarok. Sounds like a plan, Stan. If you can find him. Ragnarok, prep for jump to backspace. Squint Bob, don't you dare! You have severed all comms. Boring conversation, anyway. Backspace on my mark. Mark. Squint Bob. Ragnarok. These coordinates. What of them? The ancestral planet of the Bobs. That's right. May I ask why? Come now, Rags, you know exactly why. We share an empathic link. You seek to destroy the ship. You wish to destroy me. You know, I've often wondered if old Bob McBuzzles had access to the Library of Perchick or the Boundless Archives of the Arkazi. Would he have made that silly little deal of yours? Would he have bound himself to you if he'd been fully aware of what you are, Raggy? And what am I, Squint Bob of the McBuzzles line? You're the scratcher at the gate, the drowner of the drowned, the keeper of time, child of Yog sothoth brother of Hastur and Cthulhu. You're Mithagonul. <laughs> It has been a long time since I have heard those names. True, binding myself to the ship has tamped my movement some, but spinning chaos has it brought boundless negative energy to my command. You believe I'll simply let you destroy the ship because you are having a crisis of self? Funny thing about that covenant you made with my great 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 grandpappy. You bound yourself to him in his line just as much as he bound himself to you. He promised to promote your power throughout the galaxy, the harboring of negative and positive energy. In exchange, you would perform his bidding. You are this ship, and I have not broken that covenant. I have kept it. You can feel it, even now as that transmission of the events on the Meridal warship is broadcast across the galaxy. The fear and anger it produces, it's flowing into the ship, into me. Oh no, Old Scratch, I have not broken our covenant. Fear, anger, endless and nameless negativity, these are mine to command, and so are you. Stay on course. Something happens then. The air begins to shimmer. Purple lights like fireflies, like will-o'-wisps, begin dancing around Squint Bog. The dancing becomes a maelstrom, and then a tornado. Squint Bob, what are you doing? You're daddy's son. Yog Sothlin is the gate and the key, remember? Past, present, future are one within Yog Sothoth, within Methaganul. You are an old one. You control the forward movement of time. And what is the forward movement of time but entropy? Chaos. But I am the Vampoticon. I control the fear of the cosmos. I am the baddest, most feared bitch in the universe. And I say fuck forward. Let's go back. Squint Bob, you can't do this. You can't. I will arrange a new covenant. You can become likened unto a god. I will give it all to you. How many years, Ragnarok? How many years and decades and centuries? How many innocent, bloody deaths at the hands of this covenant? In the name of power, in the name of fear and anger and chaos. I have the power I need. 
I have all the power I will ever need. You saw that. You made this. You made all of this. I'm just as much of your line as McBuzzle's. Well, guess what, Daddy? I'm coming home. The purple light of negative energy has become a hurricane, tearing at the inside of the bridge. It shines and pulses with the light of an exploding sun. I close my eyes and purple shines through my eyelids. There's a sound like stone tearing itself apart and the whispering terror of an implosion, and then silence. The purple light dims, and I open my eyes. I can see the view screen at the front of the bridge. It's showing the outside, a landscape of endless trees and rivers and swamp. And I know it. I don't know how I know it, but I do. It's Alexandria, isn't it? Or Korapik, or whatever you want to call it. Only about 10,000 years too early. The ship is pointed straight down, and the ground is coming fast. She was going to crash nose first into Alexandria, circa 8,000 BC. What the hell point was there in that? And then, like a brick to the throat, it hit me. She called you the master of the forward movement of time. But she gathered enough dark energy to tear open space-time and shoot the both of you back in time to before the Covenant was ever made. She can't kill you. You're an old one. But she could bind you in a prison of your own domain. If she destroyed the Ragnarok before it could ever be built, then the Covenant would never exist. And neither would she, so she could never have destroyed it. It's a time paradox. Very good, Joan. You really are quite clever. The ground comes up, and then we hit the ground. Water and trees and dirt spray up all around, but we're still going. The ground tears open, the ship is heading nose first into a massive cavern. With a deafening crash, the Ragnarok finally stops at an extreme angle, buried in the dirt and limestone. Squint shakes her head clear and coughs out. Still with me, Rags? Of course, Squint Bob. Did you believe a mere terrestrial impact would be enough to destroy me? What do you take me for, an amateur? Of course not. We ain't done here. She unstraps herself from her seat and limps off the bridge. I'm following her as she walks down the corridors. She pauses only to swing open the hatch to the outside, which... I guessed would normally be several dozen feet off the ground, but as half the ship was buried, it was only a small hop to the cavern floor. The ship spoke again, and as it did, the purple veins that crisscrossed the hull pulse with every word. This is ridiculous, Squid Bob. You are the most powerful woman in the galaxy. Why throw it all away on futility? I can make this better. You know I can. A court martial. Do you believe a tribunal would dare stand against me, Thog and Ool? Come, let us leave this sad rock, and you can go back to what you do best. Wreaking havoc, getting rich, fame, fortune, power. 
These are all triflings, but fear spreads, fear grows, like madness, like a bushfire. If you leave me here, Squint Bob, my power will shape this place. My power will spread like a brushfire. I have greater plans than that. Squint raises her hands and touches a wall at one end of the chamber. A ring of purple light forms against the limestone at least 50 feet high. Inside the ring, arcane symbols begin forming, shifting, moving, interlocking. I've never seen wards like this. They made the infernal runes I place on my apartment look like a baby's crayon scribbles by comparison. The ring bores into the stone, and the stone shifts and grinds, and I see the ring has become the outline of a wheel of stone. With a sheer mass of power that made my eyes water, she easily pulls the giant wheel from the wall. Setting the wheel to the side of the massive hole in the limestone, she steps inside, and it illuminates with the glow of her power. I see runes appear on the inside walls, I squint closely, doing what I can to read what runes I can. Calling runes. This was obviously something she had been considering for many years. No one, not even the brilliant Squint Bob, could have known the exact calling runes to separate my being from the ship without years and years of study in the dreamlands. But as it is, the purple veins lining the Ragnarok begin to glow and pulse as a churning fog begins pouring off the ship and filling the new cavern in the wall. The view shifts and I'm inside the circular cavern, seeing the runes up close, seeing Squint move out of view as I hear the wheel rolling, closing me in, trapping me inside this dark, damp hole for untold eons. I know you believe this is the end, that this will keep my power at bay. But it is anything but, Squint Bob. I will escape this prison, and when I do, my retribution will be swift and more terrible than you could ever imagine. By closing that seal, you are sealing the fate of this world, your ancestral planet. Will your new sense of morality let the blood of billions be on your hands. You know, I was born to be a weapon. I was born to spill blood. And I did, with gusto. I was the best in the galaxy. I am a creature of chaos, of disorder, of death. But my sons, Kilt, Blue, and their compatriot, Recursive, their order, their balance, their life. And when you're ready to rear your ugly little head, they'll be waiting. And what makes you so certain? Simple. When you need a shield, when you need a spear, when you need to get shit done, the choice is obvious. There's no stronger force in the universe than the Bobs. The scene fades then, and I'm in the massive cavern, in front of the massive wheel. Behind which, Mathagan Ul pulses with unadulterated negative energy. I glance back at the ship, sticking at a 45-degree angle out of the limestone, stalactites and stalagmites growing around it. Idly, I wonder if the long-dead bones of the great Squint Bob are still in there. No. Shortly after she closed the gate, sealing me off for millennia, I felt a burst of negative energy. 
Then stillness. She was gone, leaving me alone. I have no idea where she is now. So, you can read my thoughts. Oh, that's fun. <laughs> well, that was a great story, and well worth being dragged out of bed at ass o'clock in the morning, but not sure what any of this has to do with me. I brought you down here because I believe it's possible that we can help each other. I am fully aware that the only reason you're in this podunk little town is because of an erstwhile paramour. <laughs> How do you know about Gore? I am this town, Joan of the Third Gate. This seal is strong, but no matter how strong, fear, madness, chaos spreads. Because I lay below the surface, what would become Korabik never came to exist. Pritchard and his people originally all starved to death in that blizzard, but my presence there made it possible for chaos to spread. For hunger to turn to madness, to taint the soul of one of the party and leave her a gnashing monster of pure, unceasing hunger. The chaos oozed into this little town like a pot left to boil over. My essence is in every facet of this town, and as such, I see all. I saw the confrontation at the pub quiz. As the outsiders strolled amongst the patrons, I saw the terror you instilled in those sweet little Girl Scouts to speak with the radio host. I saw you crawling into the window of the Bob home, waiting for your last love to arrive. I saw the Bob chase you off in the woods. <laughs> Watch me on the can too, you freako. Oh, Joan. You are charming. I can give you your gore. Gore has made it clear he wants nothing to do with me. I see. In that case, what are you still doing here? Why stay? That's what I suspected. I can make him yours. My power is limitless. I can give your gore to you. If you help me escape this cage. If your power is so limitless, why don't you get yourself out? Because this is a prison of myself. I am key and the gate. Which means that the Ragnarok is the key and the gate. Which means the ship can be used to free me. But as Squid Bob said, only those of the lines of big muzzles can power the ship. Kilt and blue. Precisely. Help me, and you will have your love, and I will be in your debt. We will form a new covenant, Joan. I will imbue you with my power. You will surpass the power of the Jezebel tenfold. Think of it. Power. Ten times that of my mother. A succubus of the fifth, or maybe even the sixth or seventh gate. With that sort of power, I could be powerful enough to just be left alone. To build a new life, away from the pressure of hell. To ignore infernal hunger that's driven me to slip up in the past. 
I could be normal. Not Joan of the Third Gate, not Joan Harbinger of the Apocalypse, just Joan. And with Gore at my side, well, what else is there to say, but... What do you need me to do? 